0: Hey everyone! Uh, Friday afternoon, Um, we haven't done a podcast in a while, Uh, so here we are. We had my friend Alex Sherman on. He's a uh, from CNBC. He's a you know reports in tech, and he's really big in the media and streaming. So it's kind of a little bit of a different take on uh, what's going on. And he's you know reported on Snapchat, reported on you know Viacom, Netflix. Uh, There's been a lot of news uh, over the last you know several weeks. So it was good to uh, catch up with him and. I think you guys will like it. Uh, also, this podcast sponsored by American Express. Do not do business without it. Without further ado, Alex Sherman. All right, everyone. Uh, we're here Friday afternoon. It is my pleasure to have the great Alex Sherman from CNBC uh, with us today. You, uh, For those of you um, that have been listening throughout, his colleague Ari Levy from CNBC was on before. So um, it's awesome to have Alex on. Alex, thank you for joining.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. So we have a lot of different questions. Um, we have some questions mailbag-wise, but also we have... Um, I want to go over some of the topics that you've been talking about, writing some great pieces on. Um, first off, you're working at CNBC. Like, What's it like covering not just tech for CNBC, but getting to work for you know the pinnacle of financial reporting and you know, media?
1: I mean, look, I, you know, I, I worked at Bloomberg for 10 years and I've been at CNBC for a little bit more than three now. And at both places, really, you're just surrounded by uh, colleagues that are so knowledgeable about what they're covering that, um, you know, you feel like you're working on an all-star team. And I'm sure it's the same at the Wall Street Journal uh, as well in terms of covering uh, business news. But you have people um, throughout the organization that uh, have been covering things for decades, um, so they're very well sourced, uh, and there's usually lots of people you can go to for a reliable answer if you have questions. Um, but you know, I, I've sort of crafted out this role uh, covering the cross section of media and technology uh, at, at CNBC, which is which takes different elements of things that I worked on at Bloomberg, um, but kind of puts it all together at CNBC. So it's a nice wide. Um, platform for me to be able to cover a variety of different things obviously everything that's going on in the streaming world is sort of the main my main focus uh these days but there's lots of different other elements on the side of that whether it's sports betting um or other sort of like the, you know league rights stories which maybe we'll talk about that's one aspect of things um you know that there's there's uh sort of the more generic aspect of tech companies and how much do they want to get into media. That's another aspect of things that I cover, whether that's Apple or Amazon. And then you know the real crux of it is like what are the big legacy media companies trying to do here to stay relevant into the next decade.
0: And as you bring that up, there have been a lot of there's been a lot of news over the last you know several months. Regards, to you've had Viacom, CBS, the whole fiasco that's gone on there. You've had Netflix report their numbers. Snapchat just reported, and I know you've been covering Snapchat with Evan Spiegel. They had a great quarter, um, and then also DraftKings getting into you know the gambling world. But you talked about you know a lot of these tech companies. Do they want to get into media? A question that I've really been wondering is you know Microsoft and you reported that they were able to buy. Uh, nuanced communications and what, like $19 billion in change in terms of, you know, total offer. Um, How are they not in the antitrust category? Like Apple is, you know, Facebook's obviously like the poster child for people thinking, you know, um, regulation and whatnot. And then even Amazon, how are they not? Because I was reading through your article and I'm going to share the link um, in the description, but they've been trying to purchase Discord or they're rumored with Discord, Pinterest TikTok at some point? Like, how are they not in the conversation? So
1: I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the Trump administration's focus on big tech. Uh, So I think the reason Microsoft has not been in the conversation for the last four years is that Microsoft more or less pivoted their company to focus on enterprise software first. And the Trump administration... Uh, its main focus, I think, was consumer-facing companies that would throw around their weight to potentially um, use market power in a variety of different ways, one of which could have been to censor politically. So that's what rose Facebook, I think, to the top of the chain there. Now, Apple and Amazon kind of got dragged into it because there's some political things going on there. There was obviously... Uh, Trump, uh, you know, was very critical of Jeff Bezos, is of course, owner owner of the Washington Post. That Amazon, I think, got kind of crept along there. But even Amazon and Apple have much more consumer-facing businesses than Microsoft. So it's a much easier sell, I think, to the the everyman that these two companies could be the, 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 the big bad guys throwing around their market power and icing out some of the smaller competitors. Microsoft, since they make business-to-business software, and even when they bought some consumer-facing companies like LinkedIn, for instance. Well, LinkedIn is, again, sort of like a B2B platform. I mean, yeah, it's consumer-facing, but it's not Facebook. Uh, sure. So it's, I, I think that's what Microsoft has been intentionally or unintentionally smart about, where they've been a little bit less consumer-facing, unlike 20 years ago, where w- Microsoft Windows was sort of the thing everybody knew. So that was a bit more right in front of you. Now it's like, well, you know, they're they're more kind of sales forcey in nature to some degree. And they're using that power, they're using that little niche that they've developed to potentially now be able to get into some more consumer-facing businesses like Discord or TikTok or Financial Times reported they had they had poked around on Pinterest because their competitors are all are all unable to do so for fear of drawing regulatory
0: scrutiny. And I think that's smart. Do they like if I'm Satya Nadella? do I really wanna go into that gray area like where Facebook is and always have the regulation question? Because if you buy a Discord or not not as big of an extent as if you were to get a TikTok, for instance, you're gonna go down that path. Like right now, I feel like out of any major tech company there, as you've reported, they're like in the clear. So like to me, why would you wanna go down that road? So uh, I would answer that and I'll give you
1: three answers. One, we don't know if they are going to go down that road. They've poked around at a bunch of these companies, but they haven't actually pulled the trigger and bought one. Nuance Communications is definitely not going to take you down the road. That is a company that makes transcription services, um, you know, that, that has primarily been used in healthcare, really, doctor to patient relationships, making those conversations digitized. And then they can use that technology theoretically throughout sort of their various cloud services. So that's, again, kind of a back end technology acquisition. The TikTok situation, which they were very much involved with, came across as sort of a forced distressed sale. So I think Microsoft saw that opportunity as like, look, we're definitely going to be able to get this thing passed by regulators because we have to literally work with the government in order to get this deal done. And we could be stealing this asset at a wildly undervalued price. I mean, I wrote an an article at the time that said, even Netflix should be interested in looking at TikTok. And and Netflix's entire mo is focus 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 they don't do anything other than very focused entertainment streaming no advertising no sports no live programming et cetera, et cetera. and i said look even that extreme example should be poking around on tiktok here because the price you might be able to get this at is so undervalued that like you're willing to deal with all of the, the stuff that comes with tiktok and there is a lot of stuff not just regulatory but again sort of the censorship question and the various different problems Facebook has had to deal with uh, in terms of bad actors on the platform, that all exists on TikTok too. So you're right. Why would Microsoft want to do that? Well, if they're getting a great price for it, maybe they're willing to you know, kind of, kind of soak up uh, some of the nastiness and the ugliness that goes along with it because the uh, effect on shareholder value would be so great. Now, the last thing I'll say to that is the Trump administration isn't empowering. So I'm not sure that the same type of regulatory microscope will be faced uh, only at the consumer facing companies like it has been for the past four years. So it's possible that, you know, Microsoft will be dragged into this like it or not. We'll have to see what the Biden administration does.
0: You're, I'm curious. So kind of segueing off of Microsoft, you brought up Netflix should buy TikTok. And I'm trying to think to myself, How would that look? Obviously, you still have, you know, the media aspect with being able to produce content. And that's the constant in both platforms, the content. But that, to me, seems like a very abstract partnership, TikTok and Netflix. What kind of went through your thought process when you said, hey, you know, they should do that? Well,
1: they're all abstract partnerships. I mean, Microsoft buying TikTok is abstract. Oracle buying TikTok is even more abstract. And again, you have to remember, they were only buying... A portion of tiktok making all of these deals very bizarre and of course none of them have happened and now seemingly there will be no sale of tiktok yeah. it will just stay within ByteDance, and that will ipo but my thinking at the time was all right so someone's gonna have to buy this thing and uh the the secret sauce of tiktok is the recommendation algorithm uh, that keeps spitting you out videos based on what you've previously watched And Netflix is an expert in video recommendation algorithm. I mean, that's arguably uh, has been their secret sauce over the past several years. uh, Some people argue it was just purely the ridiculous amount of money they spent on content. But, you know, Netflix at least would argue that their recommendation algorithm is a big part of it. So there is some synergy there and you're coming with a great leadership team, certainly in Reed Hastings, uh, you know, Ted Sarandos and people that are very familiar with, uh, uh, content and and, and and sort of how to leverage uh, and popularize content. And then you can use the synergy from uh, the TikTok influencers and sort of use that to build out new content for Netflix. And it can go kind of back and forth where the Netflix stars become the TikTok stars and vice versa so that both platforms become popular. You know, look, I I could certainly see that type of deal. Making sense, but is it out of the box? Yeah, absolutely. All of the deals I think would have been out of the box. There, there simply wasn't a real clean fit there, and that's why I threw them in.
0: Net Netflix though, and and this is a this is one because Netflix reported earnings recently, and you've covered Netflix greatly, um, and obviously like the streaming space. I feel like Netflix does need to do something because if you look at their last report, I, they have one quarter where they blow numbers out, another quarter where, I mean their subscriber numbers, it was roughly what, 4 million subscribers versus an estimated six. So it asks, I, I wanna pose a question to you because you wrote an article also on um, Paramount Plus when they were launching. And their thesis was with Viacom that five everyone's gonna have more than five streaming services. What these numbers from Netflix, is it showing you that it's kind of like the top as we've seen right now in terms of streaming? Because, you know, more less than, Obviously, they haven't reached the number that they thought they would.
1: It's the top in the United States for sure. And again, if you want to throw in one more, more argument for why Netflix may have been interested in TikTok, which they weren't, um, it's that look, Netflix is committed not to having advertising. Reed Hastings has said that over and over again no ads, but that's not, we're not doing that um, for a number of reasons that I don't mean to get into. But TikTok is pretty much entirely fueled by advertising. So, theoretically, that could be a new revenue stream for Netflix that wouldn't muddy up the Netflix property. To your point on Viacom, CBS saying, uh, you know, we, we expect this world to have five, you know, we expect people on average to be subscribing to at least five of these things. I'd have to imagine that, at least in the near term, Netflix is going to be a, uh, a part of your streaming diet by and large. In other words, if you are in fact subscribing to five streaming services, it would be hard pressed. I can't really imagine most people not having Netflix as one of those yeah. five. Like, if you're that deep into streaming, like I don't think you're ignoring Netflix. They just it's have almost too like many it's almost as
0: like you getting rid of Amazon. Like at that point, it's it's very exactly different. yeah. Like
1: you're starting with Netflix. You know, Netflix yeah. is not your number six service. Uh, So that's good news for Netflix. And and in fact, that is the basic bull thesis if you want to invest in Netflix, which is the following. Uh, Even if growth has stopped in this country because it's sort of maxed out for the time being, uh, what's keeping some people in in the United States from subscribing, because the number of Netflix subscribers in the United States is something like 60 million. I don't know the exact number, but it's in that ballpark. Um, And it's over 200 million internationally. The, 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 the story is this. On aggregate, Netflix growth is going to come internationally. Uh, that didn't happen in the second quarter, in the, in, the, in the first quarter of this past year. And it's expected not to happen in the second quarter when they forecasted just 1 million net ads. In Netflix's words, because most of the growth actually happened in the first and second quarter of 2020 during the pandemic, yeah. where all of these people suddenly signed up for Netflix they never had it before because they were stuck at home. So that they, they were, there was a surge of growth where they added, you know, 20, 30 plus million subscribers in those, in, in, in those two quarters uh, together, which Netflix was not expected. Yeah. And now they're sort of feeling the back end of that, which is like, okay, we got too many subscribers and now we're getting too few. But we expect that growth will reaccelerate in the second half of 2021. That's what they've said. If you believe them, we'll see. I, I tend to think they're probably right. But the other side of that bull thesis is if Netflix is a part of your streaming diet and there's only whatever it is, 60, 70 million Americans that have Netflix, uh, at its peak, there were 100 million U.S. households that subscribed to cable TV. That number is down to about 70-ish. If you feel like there's gonna be another 20 to 25 million people that cancel cable TV in this country in the coming years, some of those people we'll go do ahead. not have Netflix, right? So there will be a consistent growth spout that's coming based on the overall uh, shift from cable TV to streaming. And now all the other media companies who resisted that shift for a decade over the past year, have basically raised the white flag. And they've said, fine, we're going to retool our company. You win, Netflix. We're going to focus on streaming. So Viacom's statement where they said there's going to be five streaming services in every house, if that is in fact right, that's
0: probably very good
1: news for Netflix.
0: That, that, that statement does very hard for me to believe in this regard. And you can kind of play devil's advocate if you want. But at five streaming services, you're almost paying, what, 17 bucks a month for Netflix, let's say. I, I know I pay like 17 bucks a month. You're almost getting to the point where you're, if you have five or six streaming services, you're paying almost identical what you would cable. Like, it might be a little bit less, but at that point, you you relieve the live TV. Now, and this is where I'm going to come with this part also. If I'm Netflix, I want to get into something else, maybe a TikTok or maybe some, you know, live programming because, with Amazon and I know you reported on you know the NFL deal and I know Amazon's going to get some more games. I feel like they could be with Prime Video the main competitor as you come down the stretch because not only do they invest into original content but they're going to have live programming with football which is the most popular you know program in the US.
1: So some of this I think will be driven by the ad supported streaming services which are cheaper than the no ad version. So if you think about it, you mentioned $17. Netflix actually told us in its earnings report, the average revenue per user per month in the United States. And it was $14.25. So that's the average Netflix customer spends $14.25 on Netflix every month. So we'll start with that. I have a literally have a calculator on my phone in my hand here. Then you probably have Disney Plus. That's $7.99 a month. Okay. Then let's say HBO Max, that's $15 a month. Now we're gonna, that's three. Now you're probably already an Amazon Prime yeah. subscriber. You probably already have Amazon Prime. Uh, so that counts too. So what what is an Amazon Prime subscription a, a month? It's something like $10 a month, I want to say. Yeah. In, yeah. in, in that range. All right. And then now you're, so that we're at $47.24 now. And and now we'll do one more and we'll call it Paramount Plus, which is, you know, about six bucks a month or so. So we're at $53.24 a month. Do you pay more or less than $53.24 for cable? Well, according to, to a variety of research, the average American pays $80 to $100 a month for cable, TV. So 5,324 is a lot less than 80 to all It is. Um, so I, I think that is conceivably uh, the right narrative. The question is, how long will it take people to actually cut the cord to the point where the average American has five of these things? In other words, enough people have gotten rid of cable and replaced it with this other thing because one thing that's for sure not going to happen is people are going to keep cable and then pay $53.24 on top of cable. That's not going to happen.
0: That will never happen.
1: That's right. So the only way that the Viacom CBS statement is correct is if there is a uh, stampede of Americans who are cutting the cord and canceling cable. So how quickly does that happen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows. Um, I do know and have written that media executives are planning on a world with only 50 million pay TV subscribers by 2025. So again, if there's 70 plus today, that's another 20 million or so uh, that have canceled by 2025. There is a lot of disagreement on what happens at that number. Some people think it plateaus for a while and we just have a linear cable bundle catering to 50 million people for years. Other people think there's a total disintegration of the cable bundle. And it just goes the way of the VCR, and, and it's basically not offered anymore. And there's some sort of new bundle of the subscription streaming services that arises in its place. So we'll have to see.
0: What's your gut feeling? Because right, now you've you've covered this industry a long time. So what is your gut feeling specifically on Paramount Plus? Because I I've seen how Viacom stock it's done very well now. Before you know, you had obviously like hedge funds get in and. They, they ran into some issues there. But what's your gut feeling? Because I am not 100% sold on them.
1: Yeah, neither am I. And, and and I'll answer that in several different ways. Here's the main reason. Viacom CBS is counting on houses having f- at least five, five plus of these streaming services. But I don't know that Paramount Plus is the fifth best. Uh, so they're in major competition for that five slot. You know, if 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 your one through four is Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu, now no, you've got you, you, you've got HBO Max, Peacock, Paramount Plus, Discovery Plus, Apple TV Plus, uh, you know, and whatever other one I had didn't think of, they're all competing for the fifth slot. So that's a lot of competition for not that many households for number five. So yeah, your, your, your overarching question here I think is, is the streaming world so saturated today that there's simply too many of these already? And I think my answer to that is yes, it is. Uh, and so not all of these things can or will survive. And Paramount Plus is probably in a category of the ones that I think it's a, a less than 50-50 shot that they do. And so what happens if they don't, well, they probably merge with some other media company uh, to develop a more robust streaming service that has a better chance.
0: Wow, I mean, if you, you brought Apple TV up, like I feel like they have a great shot of being number five if they really want it because Apple has so much money at disposal.
1: That's right, yeah. Apple is a mystery still.
0: Um,
1: they really have not shown their cards on what they want to do with this service long term. So they have a few good shows, Ted Lasso is a hit for them. Uh, but by and large, they're by far the easiest service to cancel once you sign up because they have no library. Yeah. But to your point, they have gazillions of dollars where yeah. they could easily just buy a library. I mean, they could buy MGM and they could buy Lionsgate and they could buy AMC and they could build you a library of stuff there with shows you know you'd probably want to see walking dead mad men breaking bad whatever uh you know th- there's definitely stuff to be bought james bond which is the mgm catalog where they could easily manufacture one now they haven't done it yet now why haven't they well i'm not sure that they've made the decision about what exactly they want to do and and is the best you, i mean apple never does acquisitions ever i mean i think To date, their biggest one is is still the Beats acquisition, I think. At least their biggest consumer-facing one is. And that was a $3 billion deal. For Apple, $3 billion is nothing, too, which is... Nothing, nothing. I mean, companies do $3 billion deals all the time that are are way, 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 way smaller than Apple. So Apple doesn't like to do acquisitions. It's not in their DNA. Uh, To think that they would just suddenly buy up all these kind of legacy... Uh, low growth media properties. I don't know that that's all that likely. I would add the same to Netflix, probably not all that likely. Uh, They would rather spend all that money on original programming, I think, uh, instead of library programming. So, you know, will Apple be that number five one? Like you said, if they want to, I would probably put my money on them because uh, they'd likely be able to spend a lot of money uh, and, and investors would be willing to let them spend it given the fact that they have so much of it on the balance
0: sheet. I, I do have a different type of question for you here. And this is something that came up yesterday. And I kind of want your thoughts on it. Um, the new administration came out with a capital gains tax proposal of, I believe it was like 43% for people with over a million dollars in the market. That makes me a little nervous as an investor, because that's when you really start getting to the question, like, is it worth? actually investing at that point if you're going to pay 43% in capital gains tax like what what was the first thing when you saw that what was like your first gut reaction to when you heard about that proposal
1: my gut reaction was remembering a Warren Buffett quote which is that basically uh, investment decisions are not made on taxes Um, that he has said this all along that he's always said you know wealthy people need to be taxed more I need to be taxed more that in the end, it's just, uh, you know, this is not the, the main thing for why people make investment decisions. Other people disagree, certainly. Um, and, and some people have made an entire living on avoiding sort of paying taxes and, and, and coming up with tax efficient ways of investing. Like John Malone, for instance, is a prominent media investor, extremely uh, successful billionaire. Um, but maybe that even that goes to Buffett's point, which is like, you can raise the tax rate, that's fine. Uh, but people will find a yeah. way around it through tax efficient, uh, you know, the variety of different tax efficient ways, whether that means taking some businesses offshore, or of course, the government would then probably try to limit that in response to keep the tax money in the country. Um, I, 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 overall, my my sense on taxes in general is, uh, at least at this stage, yeah. like, the market will kind of play itself out and I don't really think it's going to be some sort of devastating Blow, but others disagree with me
0: yeah I, I mean i just wanted to get your thoughts on that because i know that once that was announced the market kind of did a bit of a nosedive and so it recovered today so as you're as you're saying like it's probably you know nothing and nothing burger almost but i just wanted I, i've that's that's always been very curious to a lot of people is like how capital gains and how that intersects with the market and so um
1: there's a lot of disagreement on it certainly and i don't know that there's a right answer
0: yeah um, one thing I do want to get your opinion on before we have a couple of questions here, just from people that you know are really curious. Snapchat, I've seen a lot of people say that they're on the trajectory of potentially the next Facebook in terms of how you know when Facebook IPO they cratered and people were wondering how how do I monet, how how are you going to monetize this platform? You can get a you know billions of users, but how do you actually monetize it? And they figured it out, and obviously now they're what eight hundred billion dollar company. Snapchat, same story. 2018 what they were six billion dollar company now um from your article now they're what 96 billion even more maybe after they're even earnings. more i
1: think because they just announced good positive earnings yesterday
0: and yeah i think their stock went up what what specifically turned the company around because a lot of people were wondering like are they even going to be able to exist after instagram came up with stories
1: yeah uh, uh it, so so they in a nutshell what turned things around for them was uh, advancements in uh, their own sort of proprietary advertising technology that became super appealing uh, to a variety of different advertisers, especially during the pandemic where Snap was allowing people to um, you know, try on clothes with filters and uh, uh, sort of do these kind of Insta-buy type things through the app to a demographic of people that was suddenly using the app way more now because they couldn't see their friends. Yeah. So now they were sort of using Snap to communicate. Um, the, the The writing was on the wall that things were moving in the right direction based on a number of leadership and focus changes before the pandemic. But things really took off for them over the past year because there were sort of a few of these ingredients that hit at the right time. Um, but you know, they, they have basically said we expect revenue to grow 40 to 50% every year for the, you know, next few years here, uh, which is great growth for them. And I know the next frontier for them is small businesses. They've sort of hit a lot of the large businesses in terms of advertisers yeah. I'm talking about, but in terms of sort of like your local mom and pop shop, uh, a lot of those guys have not entered the snap world yet. Yeah. I think it's uh, foreign to them, but you know, as the snap users get older, Uh, it will become less and less foreign as some of these Snap users actually become small business owners. So that's the game there, I think, which is that uh, A, does Snap have staying power? And B, do people who use this thing as teenagers or early 20-year-olds, do they simply keep using it when they get to be 25 or 30-year-olds throughout the next decade because they're used to it? And, 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 And if that does happen, Snap's in a great position. And I think one of the main pressures on Snap for years had been, well, yeah, you've hit this particular demographic, but A, uh, you haven't hit any of the older demographic that has a lot of the money yeah. uh, spending power. Uh, and B, we're not sure if this is a lasting product or if it's a fad within sort of the users uh, that you are, in fact, uh, going after. And I think there's more confidence now that that SNAP is not a fad and that this this will stick with people because it's such a steady part of their consumption diet.
0: I I tend to agree with you on that. I think it's remarkable how they've turned their company around because like I said, a lot of people thought, including myself, to be totally honest, like they they were going to die. Like I remember Robinhood, when you would sign up, they would give you a free stock. Myself, a lot of my friends, when we originally signed up years ago, they would throw Snapchat as one of the stocks and they would only do that because it was like a $5 stock. And, you know, they didn't probably expect it to, you know, do this well. And a lot of So it's incredible how, you know, they've really turned around. And I give M. Spiegel a ton of credit for that because he took a a a, lot of, he took a lot of heat. It's
1: an unusual story. You mentioned Facebook, which is the right parallel, but even Facebook, uh, as they struggled, their stock still rose in the first couple of years. I mean, it rose like 150% or so um, as they sort of bobbled along and eventually got things going. And then it really took off after that. Um, Snap was like a zombie stock. I mean, Snap IPO'd and then it, it, it was not long after that, that kind of bottomed out and for years was, was hovering less than $10 a share. And so, I mean, that is an unusual story with, with the company that has that much recognition uh, yeah. would, 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 would kind of bumble along for that long, that, that low of a, pri- uh, of, of, of a price and then suddenly take off. So Snap today is a, it's fifty-nine dollars a share, so actually, it's gone down a little bit from when I wrote the story. Its market cap is now uh, ninety billion dollars, um, but you know, this was a company that was um, around the you know ten billion dollars last even for a little while. I think, uh, for my memory serves right, um, they may have gotten as low as you know
0: six or seven,
1: eight billion for a little while. So they, yeah, they made a huge turnaround.
0: And the unique thing about social media spaces, just because you use Facebook doesn't mean you're not going to use Snapchat or you're not going to use Reddit or whatnot. So you could theoretically see a lot of user growth that you saw with Facebook. A lot of those people, you start using Snapchat, especially as like the demographic gets older. Um, And so that growth story, I'm a believer now that the growth story is intact. And I think Evan Spiegel has, you know, learned how to manage a product that really took off. And this is, I kind of also will draw a comparison between Snapchat and Clubhouse and that Clubhouse exploded because the product was so popular but they didn't necessarily know like what to do at that point once the product became popular. And so I feel like they're in the same boat Snapchat was and it's, you know, and obviously it's going off on a tangent but it's interesting to see what will happen to them if they have someone like an Evan Spiegel that can turn, you know, a credibly popular platform into a monetization machine.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I think you know one of the um, morals of the story, I guess you could say, is that it, it is very difficult to know how some of these companies will perform as publicly traded companies. So Snap had so much buzz when it went public. Uh, and, and I don't think anybody would have basically seen how difficult it would have been for them uh, coming. I mean you know, on the day of their IPO, as I wrote in the story, you know, there, there was a big pop as, as you would have expected snap jumped 44%. Yeah. Uh, you know, which, you know, more recently, we've seen companies really spike after their IPO, but uh, you know, at the time 44% was legit for uh for a first day spike. And, and uh, you know, I think it went up on the second day. And then after that, it was just, it was years, uh, and it just bobbled along, you know, again, for basically 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Um, and it took this sort of alchemy of the, of the pandemic to make this thing rise. So even some of these private companies, whether it's, you know, Clubhouse or, or, or whatever sort of next buzzy company comes along, um, uh, predicting how they will do as a publicly traded company, even if they have a lot of buzz as a privately traded company, uh, is, is difficult.
0: Extremely, extremely. And this leads me to one of, and I want to kind of go through a couple of our mailbag questions from our listeners. Um, A lot of people want to know, and you've covered gambling and sports betting. Is that like, is that kind of the next frontier for these media companies? Because someone asked that, do you expect that to be in almost every, you know, live programming type of thing where you're able to just pull out your phone or go to a website and just gamble? I think you'd
1: have to think so. I I think we're headed on that trajectory. There's just too much money there. I mean, I I don't see any media company turning down the amount of ancillary money that comes along with marketing sports betting or, uh, you know, potentially even getting into at least being a partial owner of the actual platform that does the betting, like a FanDuel or DraftKings, which is, you know, those companies have basically operated so far on the side of media companies who haven't really wanted to get into the actual hardcore gambling business. But I think attitudes are changing around this. I think that it's far less of a vice as it was 10 years ago and certainly beyond that. So yeah, I'd have to imagine this is a real thing and that the amount of gambling information and sort of how it's all baked into a game broadcast is all going to be there. And certainly if if it's there on the margins, on the main Broadcasting product. There will be other ways, um, yeah. you know, other broadcasts, other websites, other versions of ESPN or whatever uh, that really cater to um, the you know the, the the fan at home that is sitting there with their gambling app, uh, you know, and making bets real time. I think that's
0: inevitable. Do you think that's why the NFL got a hundred billion dollar deal, TV deal, because of the gambling aspect? No.
1: No, I I think that's not the main reason why. I think they got a $100 billion deal because the media companies uh, couldn't live without them. That the NFL was sort of the main uh, piece of meat holding together the cable bundle and they still generate so much revenue from it that they don't want this thing just deteriorating over time, even as they prepare for a world without it. Um, But I feel like they figured... We probably have 10 more years of life in this thing. So we have to get the NFL um, because without it, it's, you know, the thing's going to unravel even quicker. So let's just pay up for it now. And like, we'll deal with life
0: in the future, 10 years from now. I think that's why they got so much money. It's incredible how much power the NFL has in terms of media, hundred billion dollars. And that's just taking it to the end of the decade. That's It does today.
1: It does today. We will see 10 years from now, if it still holds the same amount of power, because you can certainly imagine a situation where, um, I mean, the media world today is so fractured. There's so many different things out there that did not exist 10 years ago between focusing your time on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and Netflix and Disney plus and cable TV. And like, you, you can certainly imagine a world where the NFL loses its grip on society to some degree. I mean, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and, you know, I know how I'm a huge football fan. Uh, They're only seven and five, but like they aren't. And none of their friends are either because there's so many other entertainment options out there. That you know, will they develop into them over time? Sure, maybe, but there's 20 other things competing for their attention in a way that was not the case when I was their age. So we'll have to see if they maintain their grip in 2030 that they have in 2020. That
0: actually leads me to our to the final qu- to the final question. Really, if you had to predict out to 2030, so all the way through this decade. What do you think is gonna be the biggest story that we will see develop? Um, that's certainly
1: one of them. Like will, will sports hold the same cultural grip on society that it does today, uh, eight years from now? That, that one is up there, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple other ones uh i think that there will be a dramatic um rejiggering of the media landscape in terms of ownership in terms of ownership meaning i think we're going to see several other major media mergers for companies whose streaming services just can't compete and whether they are acquired by a tech company for the first time you know whether we finally see an apple or an Amazon buying a legacy media company, or if they just merge with each other, where it's Warner Media and NBC Universal, or Disney and ViacomCBS, or whatever it may be. Um, I think we're going to see several of those happen in the next decade. Uh, I also think there's a chance that we see a world where you know AT and owns Warner Media today, and Comcast owns uh, NBC Universal. Is there a world eight years from now where? Those media entities are spun from the parent companies who kind of do other things. I mean, Comcast is a cable provider, at is a wireless provider. Um, in, in a world where cable and wireless actually get together, so again, this is all purely hypothetical, but you know, could Comcast and Verizon merge and their media properties get spun out? Could AT&T and Charter merge and their and the media property get spun out and have a new owner? Like all possible. If you look at Europe, the same companies own wireless and cable, so. There's a lot of reason why that might happen in this country as well. There's some reasons it might not. Um, uh, mainly because cable is much more regional in this, co- in this country than it is in Europe, where the countries themselves are smaller. But uh, I certainly think it's possible. So those sort of gigantic mergers, like I think for sure, we're going to see a few of them and they're going to dramatically alter the
0: media landscape. Wow. I mean that goes into a lot of antitrust things if that happens down the road. so It does. Uh, I think antitrust will be tested on
1: several of these and we'll have to wait and see what they allow and what they don't for sure.
0: Well, Alex, thank you for your time today. That was, that was incredible. A lot of different media things that we were able to go through. Um, So what we'll do, we'll post this later tonight and I'm going to put all your links here in the bio so everyone can read them and you can catch Alex uh, on CNBC and see all of his incredible work covering all these incredible stories and companies. So thanks, Ben. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. I
1: appreciate it. Happy to be here.